in a lot of ways, we can achieve anything that we want if we believe that success is a choice and not luck. That perspective is always helpful in the midst of being in a, in a sea of instability and rejection. That is our fabulous industry. This is my moment to do that. This isn't about getting a job, but to do the thing that, that allows me to express myself. Hello, and welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast, sponsored by ClearCom, the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of ClearCom Intercom Solutions. The Theater Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb, and today we're talking with Joshua Morgan. Joshua is a proud graduate of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. A diverse singing actor, his regional credits include roles at Woolly Mammoth Theatre Company, Arena, Stage, Theatre Under the Stars, Folger Theatre, Triad Stage, Signature Theatre, Only Theatre Centre, North Carolina Theatre, amongst many others. He was last seen in the Broadway musical Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, having originated the role of legendary manager Shelley Berger. Before that, he had most recently finished production on NBC's upcoming series, Lincoln. He is currently developing stories for TV and streaming content, and there's probably more you need to tell me because that, that's, that was a while ago, this, this bio. Uh, Joshua also founded and runs a company called Art of Strategy, whose goal is to help freelance creative entrepreneurs develop strategic business plans and work towards a sustainable future in the arts. Joshua, welcome to the show. Good morning. <laughs> so excited to have you on I'm really good and you know I've been trying to get you on this podcast for oh gosh god knows probably 12 months already and I quite literally was like can I talk to you on your podcast because I <laughs> you know I love connecting with you exactly exactly and I'm in much admiration as we just spoke offline about of your work and what you do so uh, let's get into it but uh, before um, we get into your work and your business and stuff Tell us, where did you grow up and what was the path that brought you to the stage? So I was, I was born in England. That's uh, where half my family's from. And I went back and forth there when I was a little kid, but really spent the bulk of my time in, in Los Angeles and then moved to the East Coast. And actually, it really wasn't in, until I moved to New Jersey slash New York where I sort of saw my first Broadway show when I was, you know, 12 years old and and that was it and i was in my on off broadway show a year later when i was about i guess 12 or 13 at the time and then uh, for the rest of my life it's it's been stuck with me <laughs> hasn't, hasn't been able to shake me off yet and your parents were they part of were they theatrical going people or is that something you kind of is an outlier path for your family yeah not really you know i'm an only child my i um uh, my father he had a real struggle with drugs and and was not uh, a legal citizen. So he was deported, actually, when I was eight, which I, I'm guessing shaped a lot of my, honestly, my creativity, because I spent a lot of time alone. Not that I was a complete loner, but it was just me. And, and my mother was very young and was working to, to raise me. But And she's very much an entrepreneur, but not in the arts, uh, although I would argue that entrepreneurs are inherently creative people. So 
Uh, she definitely inspired me a bunch. But I, I sort of stumbled into, I just wrote about this, speaking of, we were talking about our, the blog earlier. I just wrote about this because I think this is true for a lot of people, but the arts in all of their various forms, but for me as an actor, sort of became my one consistent family and and still is to this day, honestly, the, the one mainstay in my life. I love my family very much. Uh, but to be honest, it's been it's been a in and out experience over the past of years, you know. Mm. That's really interesting that you say that. I think that's what draws a lot of people to the theatre is that sense of community and family when you start a show. It's also quite heartbreaking too, right, because you begin and you go for a run and then when it closes, it's not that you lose that family but you lose that day-to-day relationship that you have with that group of people so it's there's a lot of many I said there's a lot of many beginnings middles and ends in our industry and that's quite an emotional roller coaster for some gosh you know I talk a lot about about how what a wild ride this industry is but you know I I don't always necessarily think about it that way too which is it's exactly that it's like these deep connections that we form and then can be gone in a matter of moments I, I just did a workshop of a new show I don't know, about a month or so ago now, we bonded so quickly in the three and a half weeks and three and a half weeks. And then it ends and, and, and these people that you've, that you've every day have to trust so implicitly, you know, it just kind of goes out the window. That's, that is, that is another, another ding against us, which makes us so resilient. <laughs> exactly. It's totally, do you think that your mother being an entrepreneur gave you that sense of business sense that you sort of, that runs parallel to your artistic career? Absolutely. My mother, even though she has two half-sisters, I would argue is also a bit of a, of, of an only child or a loner in her own right, very independent. She emancipated herself when she was um, 17 because her mom, not to be so dark, but just to give context for this, you know, her mom was killed, was killed when she was 12. And, and I think it really set her on a path of her own sense of independence. And I've seen her, though, Anna, this is what's kind of amazing to me, reinvent herself over and over and over and over again. She never, she went to, partially went to college, but never got a degree. And next thing you know, she was head of running marketing for A&E and then decided to become a yoga, drop that career, become a yoga instructor and and started several studios. And then she started, then left that and got into politics and started working for the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and has constantly reinvented herself. And I said this just a little bit ago, but there's incredible creativity in that in trying to problem solve. Okay, I want to do such and such. What is it going to take? which is the simple question that I've seen her ask herself over and over again. And, you know, not, not to be too frou-frou, but that's a very powerful notion that, that in a lot of ways we can achieve anything that we want if we believe that success is a choice and not luck because we just sort of go into the process of, of acting, learning from those actions, and then continuing to to analyze and improve on whatever we're doing. If that makes any sense, I've been thinking a lot about that concept, which is why I'm throwing it out there. 
No, it's really it's really interesting. And, and for those who don't know what Joshua does on the side of his career, he runs a company called Art of Strategy and he coaches people on how to build a career and a sustainable um, career in the arts. And I, I, I wanted to ask, you know, do you discuss that with your clients, that the concept that success is something that you that you choose to have rather than you know there are elements of luck you know there's you might need to be in a particular country to have a better chance on Broadway right like an American's going to have a better chance at Broadway than somebody on the other side of the world just from the the pathway but you can make decisions to get yourself to America and into the Broadway circuit if that was I think that it's just some people's mountains are higher to get to that point or their, their starting base plate is different you know well, you, you're, you're bringing up something uh, very, very important, and, and it's a truth, but here's the, here's the deal. You know, for anybody, for any of us, whether it's, oh, we want to make a pie or we want to be on Broadway, there is a cost associated with achieving that thing. And here's the truth, that none of us are created equal when it comes to circumstances or mindsets or abilities. And what that means is that it's going to cost something different for everybody. So if we ex- and, and 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 if we can accept that, okay, this is gonna might cost me a little bit more or a little less, and just know what that is. That's pretty powerful because that paired with the idea that achieving something is a choice and not luck, knowing that there's simply just a cost per your point is pretty powerful. I say this because a lot of times. We can bemoan our circumstances as well. And I, and I do think this comes up a lot in the arts in particular, as though someone's taking something away from us, as though, you know, other people have all the power. And and so much of, of what I try to focus on for myself, but also for the folks that I work with, is, is getting rid of that notion that these people have this power over us because, you know, I call bullshit because not only um, do they quite literally not, but, but, and there's no structure to this industry. There really isn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's the wild, wild west in a lot of ways. There really is (laughs) no, you know, in terms of like maneuvering, getting in, if you want to produce. There's no linear trajectory of your success in this industry at all. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, so you, I think you just bring up just a really good point, which is, and and that gets to, to this idea of mindset of like, if you believe in what you have to offer, and you have the ability to sort of um, to hold on to that and to sort of stay open to this, again, the simple idea of cause and effect. Action creates reaction. Where do I learn from that reaction? How do I change my action subsequently? I truly believe success is inevitable. And I really, I swear I'm not like on some like the secret. I mean, I'm not knocking the secret. I'm just saying this is like two plus two equals four if we can harness whatever that is. Yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I found a really interesting analogy which I thought was on point which kind of relates to what we're talking about and uh, they were saying that in it's one of the baking shows. I don't know what baking show because I don't watch those things but there's a competition where the chefs get a box of ingredients and they don't know what it is, right? And then they open it up and they have to cook an amazing dish with it and one chef gets you know everything to make an everything to perfectly make a filet mignon and another one gets like something that's completely in the too hard basket to try and make something nice and yet they're all competing on the same playing field and and 
and it's the same with us. Everybody gets their ingredients, which is their circumstances, their culture, where they grew up, what their financial situation, all of these ingredients. And it's what they do with them that makes them. And if anything, the person that starts as the underdog with the with the most with the sugar ingredients can often be make the most inspiring thing because, you know, they've got to be more innovative with what they do with those ingredients rather than somebody who has an easier path with the with the premium ingredients, you know. And I thought that was a really interesting analogy because I've been thinking about that a lot because, you know, I work a lot cross-culturally and I, and I work with people from all different parts of the world and, and I'm constantly take, constantly taking a reality check on my own culture and my own upbringing and my own personal situation because I have to remove that lens when I'm and I need to understand their lens in which they view the world so we can work collaboratively in a creative environment and it's and it's a beautiful challenge and I learn about myself in each and every project when I when I move overseas when I travel overseas well yes 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 and yes and to that last part about learning you know I will say one of the biggest benefits one of the selfish benefits of me running artist strategy and working with, you know, I've been running it for close to 10 years now and, and learning so much from so many artists of so many backgrounds about their processes and mindsets. And it, and it really is incredibly motivating for me. I I often say to to Mike, who, who runs artist strategy with me, you know, we're offering, um, a service, and yet sometimes I feel like we're the ones winning out because because <laughs> you're learning. It, it beca- yes, it, it keeps me in the game. It, it, it it's and and also puts things in perspective. This idea again about haves and have nots. I didn't come from tons, but there are people who come from far less who work even harder, and 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 that perspective is always helpful in the midst of being in a in a sea of instability and rejection. That is our fabulous industry. <laughs> mm. <laughs> totally. So, how do you what's what's the balance in your own personal life of running out a strategy and then taking on your own projects? So. That seems like you have a full life. So, how, what what what's the decision making on how much time you spend between that business and your own career performing? I mean, that's part of your career, of course, but your actual on stage career. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It is it is a difficult balance to be a hundred percent with you, and especially because for the bulk of of my time running artist strategy, it's been one on one consulting. Now, now, as you could imagine, that is a difficult to scale, and it is also difficult to manage from you know a time perspective when I am in rehearsals or I am shooting, and I have got to be you know flexible with my schedule. So that is where considerations in terms of other people, you know, coming on like Mike and, and we now work with um, another great artist, entrepreneur, uh, Hasiem uh, Muhammad. Um, and so that's a consideration is obviously taking away some of the workload, but also changing the modes in which we're eventually going to offer our work in terms of e-learning courses and then group coaching um, is, is where we're probably headed. But then in terms of your question, like, how do I manage the time? <laughs> you know, that's... Um, it's a ever ever shifting tectonic plates in terms of navigating how okay I'm in rehearsals for eight hours a day, which means I'm typically going to coach very early in the morning or until later at night, 
And that's what I've, I've taken on for myself. I will say, because I am a big believer in, in the growing of a secondary income stream for most freelance artists, that, that it has to meet five key criteria. Uh, one is that it's mobile, flexibility of schedule, flexibility of income, um, that it's something that you can be passionate about, and that it is scalable. And I share that because when I'm not working, it is a time for me to then go to accelerate a little bit to, to to control my own level of income and also to grow the business closer to that scalability that will give me eventual more uh, freedom in all of this. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theater Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. From the Broadway stage to the West End to Cirque du Soleil, ClearCom brings seamless communication solutions to your stage. You can find them at clearcom.com. Go check them out. That's super interesting. When you when you you said that you coach people in finding a secondary stream, do you help guide them in finding what that might be for them and like encouraging what that might be that they would like to do on the side? Is that part of your coaching sessions? It's a big part of it. Everybody is totally different. So most people come in and they've they've got either things that are pretty solid and and they've been running and we look at refining and ways to make sure that it flows with the rest of their work. Some people, it's a wholly new concept. They've been doing gig work forever, you know, it, and or nannying or or bartending. The the reason why I I think that those are are risky secondary incomes is because you kind of constantly reinvent the wheel. You go away, you do a gig, you come back, you might not have that same job. You're constantly looking at at having to renew. So you're already running another business. It's just I posit that, you know, having one that's completely in control that uh, under your control that you can be doing in years in years is um the most valuable. But yes, we have, a lot of times we have to go through the ideating phase of what are your skills? What are your interests? What, what are some of those ideas that you might have? And then how do we look at, um, even begin to budget them out and to do maybe some market research to see if there's a, a real interest in what this idea is? You know, Anna, when people often come to, to work with me or us, at the outset, everyone's so gung-ho, right? Oh my gosh, I can achieve it all. They look at their plan. You know, we have our plan, which this five-year plan where they see their goals and like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And yes, I'll, I'll run this business where I schedule only actors as babysitters and I'm going to be the point person and everyone's going to give me 12% of whatever their idea is. And then seven weeks in, you know, when push comes to shove, and they're tired one day, or they've been rejected from, you know, three different jobs. It's this is when that headspace and mindset comes back into play, too. It's wild to me. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. And I was saying to you before we started recording, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I've, in the brief time we've known each other, I'm just so blown away by so much of, of what you create for yourself and I assume your family and, and also us. I mean, this community. Um, I say that because you, you know that demoralizing, some might even call it rock bottom feeling of whatever the effort is, 
in in your world that you're working on, whether it's epic or you know starting a podcast or growing theater art life, whatever the project is, there are hills and valleys. And but the difference, I think, for true entrepreneurs in a lot of ways, is is how you overcome whatever that questioning, nagging thought is, can I do this? Is it worth it? Should I keep going? And I guess one of the things I'm sort of, that that does make artist strategy uniquely difficult is we're exploring if you can actually cultivate uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, because a lot of people will talk about it being something that's a bit innate. And one of the things that's obviously true for our industry we understand the idea that we're businesses kind of but i think we sort of sometimes put that into the idea of what of a hustle you know we're just hustling around and trying to make it work which to me is not what an entrepreneur ultimately it's more it's it's no it's more resilience than it is hustle right i think that's the being able to work through those down moments is is the is the way through and and that's not easy even though I've done it for a long time there's days where you're like you know you want to scream but I I, I know it's really interesting (laughs) that you ask yourself you know can it be taught because I am a I I don't know if that's always been innate in me to try and overcome those things I think I am stubborn by it's by nature but I I also I, I also find that the people that stay around me on the long haul for running the company and working with me are of that kind of um, innate nature too, very hardworking, very resilient and being able to pick yourself. I always remember when I used to call shows, you know, when you make a show call, major mistake in the show call and 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 I think this is where I trained myself to drop yeah because the problem is if you if you're getting all worked up about the mistake you made you've still got to call the rest of the show so if you don't drop it (laughs) and get over it you're going to muck up the rest of the show right so there's this sort of thing where I've had to tell myself when in the middle of a show call drop it stop thinking about it Anna you're only going to make things worse if you don't move on from it now you know and I think that's that innate training I'm you know, I've show called for 20 years, you know, I've had to tell myself that so many times. And I think that's come out of my show calling and into my real life, just drop it, move, move forward and, and go into go into the next thing. And it's funny what, what environments that you get put in that force that evolution of your own innate nature. And I, I wonder if you can put people in environments where they I don't know if you can fabricate that environment, but you have to get themselves where they where they get hit and they have to get themselves up and they get hit and they have to get themselves up, you know. Is that the way you think is that you would approach it if you're going to teach them or, like, is that a conversation you have with them? Yeah, we talk about putting ourselves in the line of fire, creating adversity for ourselves right away. I mean, I, I and, and one way we do that it, is, is by starting from a place of action. What, what that means is, is I'm a big believer in failing fast, in, in, in learning from doing. I think thinking kills ideas. You know, I'm just a very action-oriented person. One, because the industry moves so fast. I mean, Anna, I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of your career, but, you know, we've all had those moments where all of a sudden our lives changed in the blink of an eye. And and this industry has the ability to do that. Um, what I did 
my first Broadway show. I, 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 it, I mean, when I tell you, it was eight days between me living in a different state when I was running a company, a theater company, and next thing you know, I was in rehearsals in New York, and my life was completely upended. And but, but I say that because, well, a that that also permeates that you know luck and fantasy thing that sometimes we hold on to too much. But but also that just speaks to how quick we all move. So anyway, to your point about being in the line of fire. Absolutely. We've got to we've got to fail as fast as we possibly can in order to to develop that resilience. But that is easier said than done. Right. Because one of the unique things in again, in this industry in particular, that I think is is different, which which makes us, I think, even even more, I'm going to say valiant entrepreneurs, is that our work is us. So it's not like I'm we're selling, you know, colored shoelaces or coffee mugs. We're, we we are what what we're trying to put out there. Therefore, when we fail fast and it feels like a reflection of our Personal. person. Mm. You know, as opposed to going I never thought oh, about it whatever. that way, but it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. And the and the you know, as a backstage person, I have even more empathy for people who are on stage because you can be rejected not because you can't sing or not because you can't act, but because you just don't look the part, right? Or they don't want that look for that particular role or they don't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you're competing arbitrarily against 50 other people and, and one of them is going to get the role and the rest are not, you know. It's just such a ruthless, really, environment as far as I can see. <laughs> I often say to people, I'm like, let's let's objectify ourselves before the industry objectifies us. Yeah. Right? Let's get really clear about what and it's funny in this day and age, right, where we've made a lot of progress, you know, societally, culturally, in a lot of ways. But but the fact of the matter is, is that even in our progress when it comes to everything from from identity to cultures, race, etc., a, it's still a visual storytelling medium. So, so even in in a moment where it's not so much about your looks, it might not be about you know judging one way what the what a good look is versus a bad look, but it's still a visual storytelling medium. So you have to understand what story your look tells. That's a, a bizarrely personal thing to have to really think through. Um, but then also, let me you know here's here's a difficult question: when you create a theater art life, for example. Whether you asked yourself this specific question or not, you essentially identified a a a quote unquote problem in in the marketplace. What 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 can we solve? What what do we? What there needs to be a better resource for a more diverse body of makers, right? I mean, again, I'm putting words in your mouth of what you decided, but you you know that's what any business does. What problem do I solve? And this is another way that's that's difficult to objectify ourselves, but Again, if we're running a business, we're asking people to pay us for services. It's because we are essentially, hopefully, solving a problem for them. Do we know what that is? That is a tough question for especially performing artists because we all want to be interpretive and our core talent should just sort of float and make us unique and special in all of our projects. But these are all amorphous, intangible ideas when what's actually happening, our talent agents, casting directors, producers are looking at us and going, oh, that person 
has this unique talent or this person has a big enough following, right? You know, in terms of following. Oh, I'm going to ask you about that next. That was my very next question. So sorry, keep going. But that's my next question. No, you get it. You get it. It's a good segue. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I'm really interested in your thoughts. And I think that's self-promotion. I just... You know, I have heard stories and, and uh, from people, dancers particularly, who have been selected for roles over others based on their Instagram following. And so for me, that's insane to start with. I mean, I'm a, I'm a true believer personally that the market's going to go where the market goes and you can either play in the game or you don't. And you can either have a successful career without much self-promotion or you could have a career based on your self-promotion. I, I don't think there's a right way to, to run about it, but uh, I do I do wonder what your thoughts are and also what you talk with your clients about that self-marketing and, and building a following and, and even, you know, how they present themselves. Before I answer specifically, let me just say this about pretty much any element of of what it means to run a creative business, including marketing or self-promotion. Again, I don't think we're a self-promotion, you, you know, as much as we're marketing a product. And I won't go Which too much to into be it. Yourself. But I, <laughs> exactly. But, but I actually am a big believer in, in marketing a persona. I, I say that. I said, if we're going to create a story about you, it's, it's inspired by, but it's for public consumption. So the same way that, Tom Cruise or Kathy Najimi, or we might see personas, but but I feel confident that they hold on to some semblance of their own private life for those closest to them. I say that because we obviously work with a lot of early career developmental artists who don't have big followings per se, and yet they need to begin to consider themselves uh, public figures in order to, um, I think, to depersonalize a bit. Uh, but in terms of this idea of followership, you know, let me say this. I, I, uh, there's a lot of talent in the world. I, I believe I am a, a uniquely gifted actor um, who can bring a lot to the table. I think I can do things other people cannot do. Uh, I do believe in, in my own abilities, but that doesn't really mean much because um, while that could be helpful for me, there are many, many versions of me. And so I sort of look at it this way to take your dancer you know, example, if you have two artists, an actor, dancer, singer, whatever it is up for a show, and uh, they're pretty probably fairly comparable, given how competitive the marketplace truly is. If one has 11,000 followers on Instagram, and one has 892, why would I not choose in a day and age where, per your point about us being self-promoters, everybody is a bit of a walking billboard, why would I, as a producer, not go, well, when this person posts about this project they're working on, they might sell me a few hundred more tickets. Now, we might not like that, and I, but let's just, social media, it, it, Mike Labadius says this, and it, and it really has always hit me. On social media, you're either selling or being sold. I really don't think there's an in-between. I think you are either playing into the, the the capitalistic system that is this massive money making device and and using it for your own benefit, or you're 
falling prey to exactly what we want us to fall prey to, which is comparison, which is, you know, thinking that we're actually engaging with our friends when in fact we're posting content because we are aware of how we're perceived. And I'm just being quite blunt, Anna, because this is a, an important question. And I want to also say something about this that I'm sure you hear this too. I, I work with people who are le- legitimate influencers with monetized YouTube channels and blue checks and all of that down to uh, the Pisha nobodies. Is this, <laughs> play, I play a lot of Jewish managers these days. And that, that really <laughs> I love Pisha it. Nobody, um, uh, who, um, um, who have no followers and everybody hates social media. Everybody hates it. Everybody hates being involved in it. Everybody hates the way it makes them feel. But you actually are just, I think just said a few minutes ago, it's like, well, so we can either, we can either choose to play the game and, and to, to our own advantage, or we can let it eat us a bit. And I, I, I'm not sure if that really answers your question, but to me, what it leaves me with is this. If I do not engage with the idea of, dare we say, relevancy as it relates to followership specifically and growing a base, do I understand the ramifications from a business standpoint? Again, this idea of selling or being sold. If I depersonalize, this is not for my Aunt Rita or my cousin Lucinda. This is really as a, a, a tool for me to, in, to, to engage with my persona, to continue to cultivate a creative career, then I, I think the, the perspective does uh, shift. And I will just say personally, I am not a doom scroller. I, I cannot spend a lot of time on social media. It feels like a waste of time for me. I do not go on there and scroll endlessly. That's just a parameter I use for myself to understand, well, I know if I'm doing that, I'm just being sold, 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 sold. Does that answer your question at all? What are your thoughts? It does. I um. I really. I'm kind of the same ilk, you know. I, I. It's. There's no right answer, and I think that's what you've you've kind of explained in that sense. There's many ways to approach it, and you you play the game or you don't play the game, and and nobody likes social media, right? I mean, my no Instagram one. real feed is full of cat videos that I watch with my kids. That's, <laughs> That's the extent of, uh, you've, you know. You've been sold on cat videos. That's, That's I what totally, you It's You know, when your kids are preteen and you need to find a way to connect with them, cat videos <laughs> is a good bridge. And I'm just putting it out there. And uh, we sit down for like five minutes maybe every couple of days or whatever and they're like, can we watch some reels? Because my kids are not allowed to have social media or anything. So mm. um, they How don't have they? 11 and 9. So they don't have any accounts yeah. or they don't have any. Yeah. They're, just, they're just not involved in that, which is an easy thing to do in Hong Kong, to be honest, because it's not a big, mm. it's much different. It's different from culture to culture, but it's very easy to keep things, digital stuff out of people's hands here. So um yeah, but we do we do indulge in that. So I, I agree. I mean, the biggest and the most hardest thing for me when I started Theatre Art Life was to realise how much that would put me in the public realm. And actually, more than starting the business, more than, you know, starting my own product, more than the, the idea of all of that, the thing that I feared the most was that being public. Now I've learned to be comfortable in that space, hence me running podcasts and being on webinars and getting up for speaking engagements. But it's not 
my nature. It's not it's not the desire for me to to be out there promoting myself personally, you know. But I realized that the only way to be an advocate for my product was to be to put a face behind that product. And so it's the same as anybody, I think, in any industry of the entertainment industry, you need to be an advocate for what you're doing. And that that is in the social media space because that's where a lot of people live, right? So you need to be out there. And that's what I've learned <laughs> by attrition in, in starting this business. And it's been a very uncomfortable journey for me over the last five years. I'm now in a very comfortable place, but the first few years was really something that I had to grow into for sure. You know, this is, uh, <clears throat> you're not speaking to this exactly, but it's going to go back to the marketing piece. You know, any brand, I don't, Nike, the window store down the street, they, ideally they're, they're personal. They have a, there's a personal touch to any brand, to your point about you needing to be out there because theater art life alone, yes, it provides a valuable resource, but people want to connect with, with, with the person. G- getting back to artists for a second, this idea of a persona you know, this is this is not only true, but a, a lot of the, a, another unique challenge when it comes to performing arts artists is that unlike the window store that can post all about their windows and, and unique ways to tell that story, we also have to. I, I often speak to actors deactorify our content, meaning where there's 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 a okay here's what i do i i you can kind of see me do my acting work isn't that cool but then also here's all about me because it's a, it's this i it's this balance as an artist where people want to see the person as well and how do you create boundaries there in the con and that's why again this idea of persona is so important to me of it's not about a falsehood it's just that my partner my mother, my best friends, these people can can see me, can can have all of me, but the public cannot. That is not and I'm I'm a nobody. I'm a Pisha nobody. I really it doesn't like no one knows who I am. But 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 there are enough people, whether it's through my work as an actor or through artist strategy, that that will follow me and my, you know, who I am. And and I've got to sort of be clear though about how i share elements of my personal life as part of my quote-unquote persona while also you know playing the game of not being too actory on socials which again is just another crazy element of of our industry that we have got to also dance around marketing in this unique way as well as to protect myself if that makes any draw sense. that line yeah no absolutely there's some you've got to decide where that line is drawn right and yes and and, yes. and preserve some part of you to yourself because I think if you're putting everything out there, I mean, I just sometimes I, I there's, you know, I follow some yoga people um, just for some like yoga moves and stuff when I need to be inspired and something I'll look up and they'll, they'll give me some extra vocabulary that I might work towards. And um, when that's all they do, I mean, they're doing it every day and they're pushing out all of it, I just think, oh, God, that must be exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's days where you don't want to do yoga but you've got to put out that yoga video every single day and it just it, it seems if it's if it if that's your job and you're earning a business in that realm well that's that's a whole nother level i think that's 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 dedication especially when it's based on you 
Yeah, exactly. That- exactly. <laughs> so we've got a few more minutes left. So I'm going to ask the same two questions we ask all our podcast guests. And uh, it starts with, what is your most favorite thing about your job or the industry? So it's funny, dovetailing off of this idea of, of being a persona, quote unquote, um, it, you know, I've also been a very independent person for a long time. I, I ran a theater company for about seven years, production company before that. And I say all that because I've, I've often found myself in situations, again, with artist strategy too, where I'm either leading or, or having to you know, be responsible for others and, and, and put on a game face to some extent. And Anna, at the end of the day, my work... As an artist, the reason I I will never stop acting, um, and I get that question a lot because I've produced a bunch, and you know how important it is it is it for me is the is the one spot where I am able to to just be myself, where it is my job to to not be right, where it is my job to not be in control, and and I cannot tell you how invaluable that is for me and um, what a part of my identity and, and self-expression, which it is for many people, that's not revelatory, but that at the end of the day is, is what I love most. It, 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 those, those brief moments, whether it's for two and a half hours a night, or I'm learning to find more joy in my auditions, you know, more creativity, more, this is my moment to do that. This isn't about getting a job, but to do the thing that, that allows me to express myself. So that's that's what I love most about it. Your space to play. My right? space to play. That's right. Mm. That's awesome. I really like that answer. Uh, the other one is, if you could change one thing about the job or your industry, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's, <laughs> a, tough, a- that's a tough question for me <laughs> because, because there's so much, Anna. <laughs> You're like, don't make it one thing. Can we make it a list? <laughs> I'm going to speak a little opaquely, but but maybe you'll help me parse it out. Which is which is, I feel I I feel like we are gaslit a lot in this industry. Um, I feel like we are made to believe that whether it's agents or managers or producers or everybody else has the power over us specifically as performing artists. And uh, I, I believe there's a scarcity mindset, an inability for people to speak their truths a lot of times because everyone just is so afraid of, of or, or stepping out of line. No one wants to take some in, independent moves for themselves. They don't want to piss off their agents. And and so again, it's while it's not concrete, that's the thing I wish would change. I wish we lived in, I wish freelance artists lived in a culture where a sense of independence or entrepreneurialism was truly valued in a way that would allow us to improve the industry communally, to make it healthier economically, culturally, so that ultimately we can, we, we all have a true fair chance. I mean, I don't want to go down too much of this path, but I'll say one of the most difficult things of running artist strategy for me is when I, if I'm going to speak quite candidly, when I work with someone who I realize, going back to our question about can you develop a sense of entrepreneurialism, 
when I realized that it's probably not going to happen for them. Not because, not, not definitely, not definitely. Anything can happen, of course. It's not my job to say that. But when you see that they're not willing to put in that work or don't have that natural resilient spirit, when I go, well, you know, they're going to, this is not, this isn't probably going to happen for them. And, and that is very difficult for me because it's not just their fault. It's a byproduct of us being in an industry that does not highlight the necessity to be an entrepreneur and truly understand what that means. Does that answer make sense? It does. And I want to sort of bounce off that and say, I don't think that is purely, uh, you know, etched out for just the performer realm. I think that same is for technicians in the freelance realm you know and they have that they have the same problems of there's no one to advocate for them right there's no freelancer union especially on a global scale and so therefore they're left to fend for themselves and a lot of them will I mean even take for me I mean I, I when I started out I just took any work I could right there was not a lot of general of like personal dr- driving my bus through my career for a, for the first 10 years, I was taking the gigs I could get. And I think where there's a lot to have be said about universities actually who train people in the arts, in the fact there should be a business facet of their arts education because a lot of people have said to me literally through the pandemic when I did a lot of webinars, I wish I had been taught how to be a freelancer. I wish I would have been taught how to manage my my business stuff. I wish I would have been taught how to do my tax return, right? Like all of these things as a freelancer are very complex because you are your own business and you, you start out being the most capable technician but on the back end you've got no tools to manage yourself as a business. And and that is a failing, I think, of um, tertiary institutions, not just in America, but everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I say the same thing, that, that, that I think it's an ir- we, are, we are making irresponsible decisions as early as these training programs. And I've, I've made to that two points. One is that what most people, what surprises most people is that specifically with artist strategy, our key base are between 30 and 50 years old. They are not right. people who, who are just starting out. And the mm. reason they're not people starting out is because the people who are in their early 20s often are still on the luck, the fantasy, d, 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 d. But to your point, imagine freshman year. What does it mean to be an entrepreneur? What does it mean to be a creative entrepreneur? What is financial management? How do you build relationships? How do you market effectively? What if that was baked in to our, to especially conservatory training? You would have these creative entrepreneurial soldiers everywhere vying for themselves and creating more work and more opportunities for others producing. I mean, it would be a completely different landscape. And per your point, or what I think is your point, I believe there's a responsibility to, to really consider that. Trust me, I'm talking to, to universities and to be 100% Anna, the reason they don't, I don't, they don't buy in is because it's not what the people who are paying their bills want. They want the fantasy element of so much of this that it's just going to sort of continue to flow and grow by itself, which is wild to me. Uh, 
very you know what i could speak to you for the next four hours josh so <laughs> yeah, i know i know i know i know <laughs> we'll have to do well let's do part two at some point part in the next two. six months because <laughs> there's more we need to talk about um <laughs> i really appreciate you joining us uh today and uh, i'm so thankful that we finally got to speak again and um i hope to catch up with you in person soon so thank you for being on the podcast likewise thanks for having me Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.